This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, August 31st, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. A so-called lone wolf attack like the one carried out by Anders Breivik in Norway will always be difficult to prevent. It's almost baked into the cake that someone who discusses his plans with no one will be difficult to identify before the attack. So how much freedom should we be prepared to give up in order to prevent one? Julian Sanchez, research fellow at the Cato Institute, comments. I mean, the interesting thing uh, we're seeing in, uh, in a lot of Europe is that while uh, various countries are now calling for stepping up Internet surveillance as though somehow that could have uh, stopped Brevik from going on his one-man rampage, you're actually seeing a slightly more sober take from some of the uh, Norwegian authorities. Uh, some of them have noted that actually Brevik came on law enforcement's radar um, at some point, uh, I think, b- well before this, uh, not right before, but rather, uh, you know, a year or two ago. Uh, and so he was scrutinized at least briefly. Um, I think it was just on the basis of his sort of saying a lot of crazy and radical things on the Internet. Um, and the problem is this is a guy with no real criminal record, no history to speak of, of, of serious violence. Uh, and he seems to, uh, despite his talk about... Uh, his fantasies about being the leader of some kind of larger movement, um, there isn't much indication that he was really part of an organized group. Um, And so what some of the law enforcement officials themselves have said is really there's not a lot we could have done in advance to have known that this guy was plotting this horrific massacre. And we hate to hear that. We hate to hear an admission that there are some kinds of awful acts that there is no very good way of preventing. You know, it's very difficult to spot a genuine lone wolf in advance. We've seen the expansion of uh, very intrusive techniques of wiretapping and data mining uh, used since 9-11 in an attempt to track down people who were affiliated with organized foreign groups like al-Qaeda. And what you can do there is start with a known suspect or a known terrorist and start following up all their web contacts and all their email contacts and all their phone contacts and personal contacts. And you sweep in, of course, a lot of innocent people when you do this, uh, but at least there is a starting point uh, of the organization, of members of the organization, contacts of the organization. When you're looking for a lone wolf, you're, you're essentially looking at the entire population and saying, without any dots to connect without any link to a group we know is violent. Who do we think, because they read something on the Internet, because they saw a YouTube that got them fired up, because whatever uh, personal frustrations are mixing in their head with the stew of perverted ideology might actually go out and do something violent. Um, And, you know, until we start being able to read minds, it's very hard to find those people in advance. And, And we don't like admitting that maybe we have to live with a certain level of of risk and no intrusive methods that we're going to uh, attempt are are going to be able to find those people. There are ways. There was the case of uh, Khalid al-Dasari, who was uh, one of these few genuine apparent lone wolves who was caught because he was uh, attempting to buy large amounts of uh, chemicals that really only – you know, big industrial plants and research libra- uh, universities need. Uh, he didn't have any kind of really compelling explanation for why he was trying to order these chemicals. And the uh, chemical companies quite rightly said, this seems suspicious to us. Please look into it. Um, but if you're talking about someone who plans to purchase a firearm and start shooting at people, um, if they don't tell anyone, if they don't plan it, um, 
that's hard that's hard to track down and uh the disturbing thing here is that it seems like the method the FBI has increasingly settled on is that it's going to find people who are saying upsetting things it's going to have informants often uh, you know, former criminals who are trying to work off charges or, or get uh, their charges reduced uh, or who are being paid often amounts up to $100,000 for a, you know, going out and finding a terrorist, which means basically going into usually a mosque or an Islamic community, finding people who seem angry at the U.S., angry at Israel, angry at, you know, any one of the usual uh, targets there and fanning that anger into a willingness to do something, to hurt people. And, you know, you find again and again, there's a, a cover story in the newest issue of Mother Jones about this spate of high-profile terror plots that seem to have basically been concocted by the FBI, all but one of the high-profile supposed subway bombings we've heard about. The foiled subway plots were plots basically cooked up by the FBI's. And we have this perverse scenario where... Uh, we're seeing, you know, random bag searches and other more intrusive methods of screening people at subways instituted because, oh, well, they foiled this plot. But it was a plot, of course, that the government had in the first place cooked up. Um, and, you know, Mother Jones's investigation shows that uh, a really disturbing number of these cases do appear to involve, again, informants who uh, are the ones who supplied the person with fake bombs, who, you know, really were the ones who were the catalyst, it seems, not that they weren't, at the end of the day, willing themselves to carry out whatever horrific plan the informants had concocted, but um, but who it's not clear were going to do anything uh, until prompted, until told, we know how to get you weapons, we know how to get you explosives, we have a plan. Um, but, of course, that's the natural result when you start telling people, well, you need to find these lone wolves. And the problem, of course, is how many are out there? If you need to find them before they do anything, you know, if you, if you want to know how many bank robberies there were, you can, you can, see, how many, you can see how many happened. Um, if you want to know how many bank robberies there are going to be, uh, that's very tricky. And then the problem is uh, you start needing to show success in capturing lone wolves who haven't done anything yet when you don't really know how many there are. So maybe there are none, but you need to show that you've got some. And at that point, uh, the standard for conspiracy, it would seem, to, would have to go down if, if we're, we're beyond uh, catching people after they've done something and we need to show results for capturing people before they've done something, you're talking about conspiracy. Often, and, you know, and that's a difficult thing to come to. There are, you know, there are some of these cases where they've actually given people fake bombs and actually gotten them to go to the point of getting ready to set them off. There are other cases, though, where people have been charged uh, for, uh, with material support of a terror group because they were administered an oath of fealty to al-Qaeda, which the FBI had, of course, made up. So an Arabic-speaking informant gets someone to repeat an oath to, uh, I guess not Osama bin Laden anymore, but to al-Qaeda, and then that becomes evidence that they are prepared to provide material support to terrorists. They've sworn this oath. Uh, you know, again, maybe some of these people were up to no good. Certainly you would, you know, uh, have, have concerns about anyone who was willing to do that. Um, but these are, again, people who, who, who are charged with material support on the basis of having 
done something at the instigation, it really seems, of, uh, of people in the employee of the FBI, people who often have not recorded crucial portions of their conversations with uh, the people who are later charged. So is, that, is it entrapment? Were they really the instigator or were they just uh, uh, giving the person enough rope to hang themselves? Often the evidence isn't all there. Certainly the informants, who are again often being well paid for this, have every incentive to uh, present themselves as having uh, uh, you know, caught someone very dangerous. And in any case, in a world where lone wolves do exist it still is not clear that that is the best use of those resources. Again, part of the problem is it's hard to know how many resources to devote to uh, a problem whose scope, by definition, you don't know. Um, but it is worth asking. Obviously, look, Brevik is a, is a strange case because this was one person who was really, with, with basically just handheld weapons, able to create an incredible amount of carnage. But it is worth recalling, I think, that when we talk about terrorism, I think there's a tendency to talk about now lone wolves, um, which, you know, we've had domestic terrorists in the past. They were not necessarily, uh, you know, Islamic. They may have been uh, far right or far left uh, political activists, people like the Weather Underground. Uh, and the truth is that I think there's a problem that arises when we think of terrorism in the shadow of 9-11, which is a, a coordinated attack funded from overseas with uh, you know, dozens of trained individuals working in concert who are able, of course, to kill thousands of people and create uh, uh, billions of dollars in property damage. And so we think that is terrorism. But when we think of lone wolves, when we think of what one person alone can do, uh, Sometimes you find cases like Brevik where one person with a few guns is actually able to, um, to kill many tens of people. Um, but the real risk of genuine lone wolf terrorists, I think, uh, in terms of the damage they can do, is not on that 9-11 scale. It's on the scale of, you know, could they shoot dozens of people? Yeah, but, but what really distinguishes that from someone who just snaps and starts shooting up a post office? We don't have elaborate teams you know, going through the U.S. Postal Service looking for people who are on the verge of snapping. Horrible, though, we recognize that is, but because we recognize it's not a kind of harm on the scale of enormous coordinated terror attacks. And also that, again, short of mind reading, um, it is almost impossible to actively hunt down those people. If you really look at the successful cases of genuine domestic plots that have been foiled, not FBI concoctions, but real domestic plots, uh, hunting down those people is really almost impossible. When they're caught, it's almost always not because the FBI did something proactive, but because someone in the community said, you know, this guy's always been a little off kilter, and we think maybe he's on the, at the point where he's getting ready to do something. Or a case where, again, someone takes that step from thinking about it to trying to do something and attempts to purchase chemicals they have no reason to be getting that are dangerous, and someone says, this looks suspicious. Um, Trying to more actively hunt down these so-called lone wolves is unlikely to be successful unless, uh, as we see here, they go kind of a step beyond the sort of infiltration model of COINTELPRO in the 60s and 70s and actually start uh, you know, trying to push people from having wrong ideas to committing wrongful acts. Julian Sanchez is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.